Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by investing in real estate rental property so you never, ever have to work a job again. And I personally love long-term rental properties, but there are short-term rental properties. Those short-term rental properties are where you are renting it out per day as opposed to per month. Long-term is a monthly lease, or basically a yearly lease, but they pay per month. A short-term rental property, they pay by the day, so you make a lot more money. Today, we're going to be talking to an expert who has her short-term rental properties from Airbnb and VRBO, making three to five times what she would normally make from her rental property if it was a long-term, you know, one-year lease paying by the month. She's making three to five times more than she would if it was rented long-term. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Now, I personally believe, just my own suggestion, I personally like 80% of your portfolio, basically all your properties being long-term. So 80% being long-term. So if you had 10 properties, eight of them being long-term properties where you're renting them out and you have a long-term one-year lease. 20% would be short-term rental properties with VRBO because you make a lot more money, but we do not. So basically two properties out of the 10 would be short-term rental properties. And here's the big reason why is because you can make a lot more money with short-term rental properties, but at the same time, it's seasonal as well as there could be problems like COVID and all that sort of stuff, which we'll get into into today's show. We'll talk all about that. And our expert's gonna show how she actually beat COVID. I guess you could say beat COVID, but her short-term rental property stayed rented during COVID and she made a lot of money even though COVID shut down everybody else, she's going to share with you how she did it and how she actually makes money and make sure that people take care of her property. Now, remember, you can absolutely do this. You can absolutely invest in real estate. Now, I can teach anybody how to do it, but getting you over that hurdle to, to realize, man, I actually can do this and I'm going to do this, that takes you to do it. So I want to get you going down that path of investing in real estate, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 3377. I will give you my free real estate investing course so that you can get started showing you how to find a new area of the country to invest, how to find the right properties, how to scale your business, how to make sure you build the business first, and how to quit that J-O-B with those properties. Now let's jump into today's show where I interview Lisa Peterson, who is going to show us how she actually makes her short-term rental properties from Airbnb and VRBO to be super successful, make it three to five times what she would normally make. All right, let's do this. So I am super excited to have my guest on the show who is an expert at Airbnb. Lisa Peterson, thank you so much for being on the Master Passive Income Show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm really excited about how Airbnb is another way to have generating income in for your your business for your for your family having passive income and it's a different type of rental property in a sense where it's obviously you're renting out the the house but you're renting it out per day and you make more money per day that's why hotels make so much money they rent it out per day and make more money so talk to us about 
how you got started at Airbnb and what was the process of like making that switch to say, you know what, I'm going to jump in and actually have people rent it out on a day-to-day basis. So I definitely love Airbnb and the whole structure of the business because it gives us an ability to make probably about three times on average as much as when we're renting out full time. So that speaks to people. They're going to want to pay attention to this conversation. (laughs) And it's not without extra work. Like, let's be really clear. There's more work involved, but there are lots and lots of different ways to structure your business. What happened for my husband and I is we live in Sedona, Arizona. We have been investing in developing real estate for nearly 30 years. Mostly it was like building a house and then living it in a few for a few years and flipping it. And so we were avoiding income tax by making pretty big profit off the homes. When we got to Sedona, we realized we wanted to stay and we had the good fortune of realizing that on our property, we had space to build a second house. And because my husband's a general contractor, we were able to build that second home. So a guest house of about 600 square foot uh, for about $90,000. And one of my good friends at the time was renting on Airbnb in Venice Beach. And we started doing some numbers and she started showing me how I could get an estimate of what we'd be able to rent this property out on by just going into the Airbnb databases, starting to see what people were charging on a nightly basis for a property of this size. And once I started looking at the numbers, that's when the big aha came because we weren't sure how we were gonna use that property, but let's put it this way. If you can build something or invest in something for $80,000, $90,000 and be creating an income stream of 40,000 on average a year, that's a no brainer, right? Like totally amazing. And so once I got the message, (laughs) it was like, okay, let's make this happen. The other piece of it is you got to be good at what you're doing. Like there are lots of people out there that aren't very good Airbnb hosts. And we did not want to be that. Like we figured if we were going to invest our time and energy, we needed to learn the craft. And that ended up having me get my friends who were really successful hosts on Airbnb to start to train me while we were building the house so that when it was finished, we would be ready to go. And there was actually some work involved and we can talk about that, but that's how we got started. That was about four years ago. Every single quarter since then, we've been a super host. We got so excited about it that we're now in the process of building two more houses, a main home and a guest home, because that can cash flow at over $100,000 a year. And again, you know, a five or $600,000 investment to get that kind of return, it pays for itself in a few years. Like it's kind of unbelievable. And you know, I'm in the West, not all of your listeners are in these expensive markets like we are. So you know, I think it's helpful to just notice that I'm used to dealing with big numbers. We lived in Tahoe before we came to Sedona. And it's a different way of thinking when you're in a resort, really, you know, preferred community of how you make those numbers work. And it's a different business model. I mean, it's another great business model. I personally like to have maybe 80% of my portfolio a rental property business in long term, about 20 percent being in a short term because you make a lot of money. Now, I personally live on all of the passive income from every single one of my properties. And I love long term because it's steady. It's it's predictable. I know it's going to be coming in, which is fantastic. Now, short term rental properties, you make a lot more. But you you like you said, there is more work involved. There's more things that you either need to worry about or even just do in like cleaning up after somebody. But you could also make it automated, which I know you can do that. Now, that one property that sounds absolutely amazing. If you could put 
in eighty to ninety thousand dollars, and in two years get your investment back, and then every year after that, that's incredible. Is that it, is that normal, or is that something that's like this was a good circumstance because you had the land, you were able to build this? And what are your thoughts about other people doing Airbnb, just buying a house and doing Airbnb? So you're right, because my husband is a contractor and he can build these properties, our dynamics are different, but just because they're different doesn't make it like out of reach for other people. The other thing that I read uh, maybe a year or so ago as we were deciding if we were gonna build this next home or the two homes, was someone who invests in a Taco Bell. They would invest anywhere between one and $2 million to get a franchise for a Taco Bell. And they would expect for the income of that Taco Bell without them doing anything, right? Passive income, they're managing it, but they've got a manager of the Taco Bell. They'd expect revenue of about 80 to $100,000 for that investment. So let's let's even work from that kind of assumption because even though in my case I can invest 5 or 600,000 dollars into a property including the land because my husband's building it and we're really good at watching the expenses and that home is going to create income of over 100,000 dollars a year even if you were looking at a million dollars and you're making 100,000 you know like there are ways to make it work so i just want to make sure that people understand there are lots of people who do not build um and are able to make airbnb work but we just have an extra special arrangement with my husband doing so much and it really pays off because you're utilizing that extra skill that's really saving you a ton of money now i do know there are lots of ways to do Airbnb in different areas. And what right now you're you're actually building on the land and creating a whole nother structure on the land, which is fantastic. It's one option. I have had plenty of students that actually do that as well. They have land. And so they're building another, like, in fact, one of my students, I think is in San Diego and is doing the exact same thing, building a structure in the backyard because they can. And so there's big enough yard and they're going to have that as an Airbnb. But also if you're going to buy a house outright, as long as you're running the numbers, you're making sure that you're going to make passive income every single month and you're going to not overpay for the property, you're actually going to be doing really well because like I said, you're renting it out per day as opposed to per year. I mean, really what it comes down to, um, mostly by the month because you know if you're going to rent a house out, normally you, a normal rental, if you buy a three bedroom, two bath, you might rent it out for twelve dollars to $1,300 a month, maybe $1,500. You know, if it gets a little higher in certain areas, at low as maybe $1,000 a month. But if you were to do that in Airbnb or long, uh, short-term versus long-term, if you do a short-term rental, you're probably going to make $2,500, maybe $3,000, right? Like you said, it's at least three times, two to three times what you would normally make. Now, that's to say that with long-terms, you have really fixed expenses. You have very relatively low expenses. Now, I know in short-term rental properties, you have more expenses. You might even have uh, you know, employees or somebody that's actually going to be doing the work, cleaning it out. Talk to us about expenses because that's something that I'm, I guess, as we are buying a property, we always want to know what expenses are going to be so that we can account for it and account for our income, how much we should be able to rent it for, and then figure out how much we can make. So what about expenses? What expenses should we look for when we're starting an Airbnb property? So the things to be considering first off is your insurance policy is going to be a big deal because depending on what's allowed, what your insurance company understands you're doing and how they're going to charge for that. So there could be additional expenses for that. That's small in comparison to the biggest one, which is going to be your cleaning expenses. Like if you're going to do those expenses or you have a family member who's going to do them, that's one thing. But if you're going to be paying for those expenses, you need to have a really good idea 
of how much it's going to cost you and how much time it's going to take for them to properly clean the home because, you know, we'll probably get into this, but like not finding hair in the home is a really big <laughs> deal. Okay. I can see you, that. Yes. <laughs> if you don't have someone who can clean at that level of precision, then you've got a problem and your business is not going to be a super host and people are going to complain. And so the hardest thing to do is make sure that you've got a cleanliness standard that is consistent and reliable and allows you to go away or at least check on the property when somebody new is coming in. So for us, it's nice to have everything right here, right where we live, because we can check on it, right? So if we've got three properties that are rent being rented out right in the same location, we can go and check those before people come in, or we can have somebody else do that. But that's a big issue. And cleaning expenses are really interesting. I will say this. People often complain when they go to uh, Airbnbs and they see the cleaning expense. But what we have seen is what you're able to actually pass on to the consumer and what you're actually paying are not the same thing. You actually pay more than what they're even charging you, which is kind of shocking. You know, it depends on where you live. But in a market like Sedona, people are charging $30, $35 or more an hour to clean a home. And if it takes four hours or three hours to even clean a small space like our 600 square foot home, it adds up fast. And most people will not pay a $100 cleaning fee. So you're only able to maybe charge $65 and you're covering the difference. And I've seen this in Venice Beach. I've seen it in Sedona. I've seen it in other places. So don't just assume that the cleaning fee is what people are charging in the in your market. It might be actually more than that. You're going to have to do some research. Does that help? That That's a great point. I never thought about that because whenever I go to Airbnb, I usually think, oh my goodness, I'm only staying here one night and I got to pay a $100 cleaning fee. Like That's like, it's double the price of what I want to pay. And so, but I completely understand now, especially in different areas where people charge more per hour, you know, they, 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 are living in a more expensive place, a more expensive area, their expenses are higher, so they have to charge more and the going rate is higher. That's a great, great point. What other expenses could we account for? Because I know like some places offer coffee. One, I know uh, a really big one, like they had like wine there, if you wanted wine, um, shampoo, soaps, uh, detergent, all that sort of stuff. Like what other things that should, should be, is there like a percentage we should go off of or is, is it just kind of come and go of like a certain property we should have soap, other ones we shouldn't? What are your thoughts? Yeah, we do provide, I mean, things have changed during COVID. So there's not as much being provided as there was overall. But yes, we provide coffee, we provide soap, we provide shampoo. But what we noticed after COVID is people stopped using those things and they prefer to bring everything them, themselves. And, you know, that will change over time. But yes, there are additional expenses depending on what kind of amenities you're going to provide. You also have, you know, maintenance, more maintenance on average. You're going to have more things that a handyman might need to come and help you with, if, depending on how handy you are. You will need to be replacing sheets on a regular basis. You'll be replacing towels on a regular basis. The water in Arizona is very hard. And so we notice that the towels get worn out. The sheets get a little bit of red hue if we're not careful. And so things like 
always white sheets. That's like number one, don't buy anything else like white sheets and darker towels, like gray towels, and then throw away white towels that if people wash their face and makeup gets on it, that you can just throw those towels away. And so you kind of start to create a system of like, these are my go-tos. Costco towels are amazing. (laughs) And so are their sheets. They're pretty reliable. Um, And you just start to have those additional expenses. But, you know, we go to Costco anyways, and we'll just buy those things, put them on a separate charge, and then be able to keep track of those expenses. And, you know, at the end of the year, it doesn't seem like that much. I think we probably spent on that small property... Maybe uh, once you're up and running, it's probably $2,500 a year per property for that kind of stuff that you're buying, cleaning supplies and all the stuff that you've got. Um, it's not a huge expense, but if you're not prepared for it, then it would be a surprise. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, is there some way that you can kind of ballpark the expenses? Let me give an example. So when I'm doing a long-term rental property, I'm seeing, okay, I know in a given year, I'm probably going to have some expenses that are going to have to fix a toilet or, you know, uh, a door jam comes apart or something. I can fix that. Like just general repairs is, and I would probably venture to say five to 10% of the rent per month. I would say that I just tell everybody, save that, set it aside for a rainy day for things that need to be prepared. Do you have any suggestions like that? Is there any way we could ballpark it? Is there any way we could kind of get as fine-tuned as possible so we know how much each month that's going to cost us? Yeah, that's interesting because I would actually say it's right around there in the 10. And and if you're already estimating 10, then I would add another 5% on. But it's not, you know, at 40,000, I just backed into what we're spending. And this is once you're up and running and, you know, because that's going to be... more of the maintenance, I'd say 5% more than what you're already doing would be a safe number. So 15% is of what you're receiving is going towards the, towards those expenses. That's a great, great number. I know I appreciate that because I always like to, before I buy any investment, I want to make sure as best I can, I take out any or mitigate as much variance in expenses as possible. And if you can have somewhat of a ballpark as you're running the numbers. Now, once you are doing the business, you'll see some little fluctuations and stuff like that. Now, if you're thinking about actually doing it yourself, or is it better to do it yourself where you're, you know, turning over the property and cleaning it? Or is it better to hire somebody? And if you were to hire somebody, how would you almost, I guess, automate that so you don't have to actually really worry about it? Yeah, I've heard numbers of around 33% of the revenue coming in if you hire a property manager to do it for you. Could be more, could be less, but that's probably a good place to start. So I think it's a decision of like, you know, what's that worth to you? Is it worth keeping that additional money? And if you, that's on top of those expenses. So you could be looking at maybe 50% of the revenue going into your pocket. And some people that's not going to be an acceptable solution. So they want to keep more of that management. The other thing that I will say is there are ways of keeping the time involved down. So let's say you're hiring your cleaning person, you've got your handyman available. The third thing that is the most time consuming of everything is you're not in charge of marketing your property. What you are in charge of is actually communicating with the travelers and making sure that they understand the process of what's going to happen when they check in and how do they get in and what happens if there's a question. And I have noticed a big movement of people hiring in the Philippines to have, especially if you have multiple Airbnbs where they're all being managed 
all that communication is being done by a centralized service. Now that's where you start talking about a far less expensive alternative than 33%. Because if you're paying somebody 10 or $15 an hour to manage, you know, multiple properties for you in the Philippines, or maybe some of these companies are just doing this and they're just going to give you a flat rate. I would encourage you to look at those sorts of options before you just say, I have to get a property manager because you might be able to piecemeal it together and save money. That's a great idea. I, I'm thinking that as you're building your business, if you're getting one or two properties, it might be good to, number one, do it yourself so you can understand the business model, understand what questions are going to come up so you can answer the questions. And then as you grow and scale, you know, you get to five properties, definitely 10 properties. You want to put in automated, uh, put in place automated processes and even hire people like virtual assistants. I know there are a lot of Airbnb hosts or people that own uh short-term rental properties, what they do is they hire, like you said, virtual assistants who literally, okay, this property, these are the questions that normally get asked. Here's a copy and paste, you know, and just write this mm -hmm. down or copy and paste this in an email or the, the message with Airbnb. Now, if we were to actually do it ourselves, does it take a lot of time? It seems like it would take a lot of time to clean the place because after somebody gets in, gets out, like you really need to thoroughly clean, especially I know with COVID, which I would do want to talk a little bit about COVID, how, to, how COVID you know, shut everything down for at least two or three months of travel. But if you were to clean it yourself, how many hours do you think it would take? Let's just say a normal 1200 square foot place. How long would it take somebody to clean that? So on average for our 600 square foot place, it's about two and a half hours. And in our 1400 square foot house, it was about four hours. And sometimes people are meticulous and very clean, but that's like average. So It'd be rare for them to be um, five hours in that 1400 square foot house, but that gives you a range of like, you know, it depends on if you have carpet versus hardwood floors. Like there, there are start several details that make it faster to clean. Like if you don't have carpet, you're going to be able to see what you're dealing with. Right. And it's faster to clean. Um, and so those are some of the things that we do now know, like if you're going to build a property, you want to make it bomb proof. You want to make it really sturdy and durable and easy to clean, very little clutter. The less clutter, the faster it's gonna to be to dust it and clean it. So um, does that, yeah, answer the question? Yeah, that's great. No, I, I definitely appreciate that because I know I would not want to go and clean a house after, or me and my wife, but with my kids, I'd be like, yeah, let's go, let's take you over there. This is your job. This is how you guys are make money. So I think that would be a great, a great way to do this. Now, is short-term rental properties with COVID, it seems like that was, oh my goodness, all of a sudden everything's shut down. Nobody's traveling for at least two or three, maybe more months. And you know, maybe even possibly uh, cancellations on top of re refunds because you know maybe somebody gave you money. But how did that play out? And are you concerned about that in the future? So I think that it was such a shock. I'm not concerned about it happening again because now we have protocols for it. But we did shut down for the two months. What's interesting is we have such a wide network of people who knew that we had those homes. As soon as it happened, we had people reaching out asking if they could rent month to month while COVID was happening. So we only maybe had one home that didn't have much traffic for a month. And then that was it. So we were able to actually fill it in with people who wanted to come and stay in Sedona for a month at a lower cost. And it was more than we would have gotten full time, but less than we would have gotten um, on the Airbnb. So it was a great test 
to the fact that if you're in a desirable place, people will know your property. We had multiple people reach out and say, oh my gosh, is there any way we could come? And I was like, well, that's pretty cool because we have fans. People love our property. I, I love that. And you have options. You have plenty of options to be able to do that, especially if you wanted to rent it out for the month. I know people would love to stay. I mean, Sedona is a very desirable area to go to. I mean, it's beautiful up there. When you said the, you know, your sheets can turn red, I could see why. There's a lot of red around you know, all the rocks and sand and everything like that. Now, having a desirable area like Sedona or Venice Beach or I don't know, Hawaii, that's easy to think, you know, let's do it, just do an Airbnb. Would you suggest somebody doing just a normal city, let's say in the middle of Phoenix um, or I don't know, Atlanta or some, some uh, a regular city, is it good to do Airbnb there as well? My impression is, is that you could do it anywhere. And the deal is, is that your most important goal, once you've researched the market and you figure out if the numbers work, and that's not that hard, right? You can go onto the Airbnb and you can see what people are renting properties for in the area that you that you want to buy a home in. And you can also see like, does it cash flow positive? You know, like, is this gonna make sense for the investment? You can do so much research just with your Airbnb app tool. But I would say that the dynamics could change. However, like my in-laws, they, they used my course to, they're, they're in their seventies. They were very intrigued with what we were doing. They took my course and I was like, if anyone can follow this and make it work, then, you know, if they could do it, then anyone could do it. So they did it. And it turned out that there's a college, a Christian college um, in Redding, California, and people will come from all over the world to spend a month or two going to these classes, even a week at a time, Bethel Church. And so once they started doing it, they would have a steady stream of people wanting to rent their house for a week. And they ended up moving into their RV in their backyard, and they were making about $10,000 a year just renting out their primary house. I know. And like, you can you can rent right for 14 days for free no taxes whatsoever but then once you rent beyond that then you have to you know report that as income tax but it was such a great deal because it provided a really beautiful income stream for them in retirement and it was fun they actually really enjoyed doing it so you never know what's in your local community that people are actually looking for and even for people who want to rent out just when they go on vacation. You can do that. The other thing is, and we didn't talk about it so much, but let's say you want to move to a really desirable place that's expensive right now. One way that you could make that happen is by buying a home that has the ability to have a conversion or like we said, a second home somewhere on that property so that it offsets your costs or maybe even pays your mortgage in a really desirable place and you get to use the main unit and then you've got this other thing that you're renting out. I mean, when we realized that we could make $40,000 a year just with one property, it changed our whole life because we we're like, we don't have any debt. You know, we have reached this, you know, financial freedom and all of that. And that that totally took care of like the majority of our expenses at a very kind of I Love Lucy budget where you just sit at home and watch I Love Lucy reruns for the rest of your life. Like we could do it on that. But it was really free to know that there was this income stream coming in for a very low investment and it would pay the basics of our quality of life. So I just also want to mention that sometimes 
it can allow you to move into a marketplace that you couldn't afford because of that other income. That's a great idea. Uh, almost, I mean, it's basically essentially house hacking. If you're going to house hack, you know, you get a duplex, you live in one one unit and the other, somebody rent out the other unit to somebody else and then it helps you pay your mortgage. But if you had something where you actually had two, two units, like two actual properties, like you had a back unit, like a mother-in-law suite, literally rent that out. That, that's, that's terrific. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that have a lot of downsides that come up when they think of Airbnb, like, oh, they, these people trashed the, uh, the house or, or a big one. An HOA is not allowing us to actually do an Airbnb, which we don't have to get into that, but that's just something that comes up. Um, I've heard of stories where some, like a bunch of teenagers, uh, college students did an Airbnb for a party and they literally like really destroyed the house and even threw like the barbecue into a pool. And it was like, like how, who does that sort of stuff? Drunk people do. But talk to us about like the downside of Airbnbs and how to mitigate these downsides. Yeah. So we've had over 400 rentals between our two properties, maybe 500, like a lot. And we have maybe had two problems in all of those. But I want to tell you, that's not a coincidence and that's not just good karma, although our karma might be really good. What I want to say to everybody is we have learned a system. And first of all, my husband is like type A clean freak, like to the nth degree and like rules and structure, whereas I'm kind of hippie dippy. He is our structure person. And he was the one from the beginning who wrote out all the rules and the ways that you have to abide by when you come into our home, which at first would seem really intimidating. And I was kind of scared that 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 might really backfire on us. But what we have learned after all those rentals is that people who like rules rent our places, because when you read the reviews, you will see oh my gosh, they're really a stickler for rules. Be sure and read the guidebook. There's tons of information in there. And, you know, I appreciate the cleanliness. I appreciate the attention to detail. I appreciate how much these people care about this property. It shows in everything. So what happens is you start to create a feedback loop to your audience that this is not the place to mess with if you're gonna come somewhere because the rules dictate who's gonna be willing to stay there. And that once in a while we will have people and they will complain about the rules. And it's funny because we can easily say, you could have looked, we, we have some rules about the property. We are very focused on cleanliness. That's why we have a five-star review and consistently. So I just think it's fascinating because you do want to err on the side of caution. You do want to take a very clear approach to what you're asking people to do and not leave any room for confusion of like what you're doing. This is a business. I expect you to be respectful. We're going to be respectful to you. And therefore, you're going to get a respectful um, home that you're going to love staying in. And so... I think it's the tone of what you set for your business. And a lot of people don't do that. I love that idea. And and because I personally am not a rule follower. I, I just, it's in me to not follow rules. But my wife is absolutely a rule follower. Like she she's never met a rule she didn't like. And so she will follow it to a T. And so if you give her a rule, she's like, oh, we can't do that. It says it in the rule book. And so... I, and so, yeah, I'm a little more like you. I was like, oh, I'll just, we'll figure it out. It's okay. But creating that type of clientele like they know that it's going to happen like this is the this is what's expected of you as a customer and you're it's not where you can literally do whatever you want throw a barbecue in the pool and you just know 
there's rules. So I love that idea. And thinking of creating these, there's so many things that as I've gone to Airbnbs, and I've actually done lots of Airbnbs, when we went through, in 2018, I went through uh, Europe. I went through 11 different countries on a six-week trip with my family, and literally Airbnb every single time. Maybe a couple hotels here and there, but Airbnb all the time. And it was fantastic. Like it worked out so, so well. And you really look at the reviews. You look at the reviews, look how the host is responding to reviews and see, hey, it's not looking, this one's not looking really good because of the reviews and because of the way the host responds. Let me not go that, go that place. And so I think reviews are big. Talk to us about, I, one of the last things I really want to know is like having good reviews and being a super host, that is, that's a, a great accomplishment. Talk to us about like reviews and how that entails with like being a super host. Yeah, I think that it has a lot to do with the tone of how you communicate with people. And so back to, there are all these opportunities that you have to connect. So as soon as someone books, you can send a note to them and say, hey, this is what's gonna happen. This is how it's gonna look. You know, every contact is just like, you want that to be the best experience. So people feel safe, they know what's expected. They know what to bring. They know what not to bring. They know how to find the property and that you're going to leave the lights on if they come at night. Like we treat these folks like they're visitors to our house. And I think that's the spirit of Airbnb, that this is going to be a vacation and you're going to have a great time with it. And to me, it's the communication that's everything. So we have a schedule that we send things out a certain number of days in advance and we make sure that people get them. And sometimes we never hear from anybody, you know, they don't tell us, oh, you know, we're here, anything like that. It's just, we know that they haven't complained. So then they're happy. Like we're not needy. We don't meet people when they come to the home. The other thing that we've learned early on is in Airbnb, sometimes people are renting them because they never want to see somebody's face. They don't want to go to the counter at the hotel. They don't want that, right? They just want to go to the house and they want privacy and they don't want to be bothered. And so we learned early on that that was really important, that, that they feel like it's their house, not our house at the time that they're there. So there's just a spirit of how you communicate with people, how you welcome them, the things that you tell them about, like when they are like, hey, this is what we're coming for. Do you have any suggestions? My husband's like the trail king. He knows every trail, all the best places to go. And we communicate that and we have like a map ready for them. So it's these little tiny touches, you know, like having games and puzzles and things that people can do in the property. And it's, it's just like, you think for me, I think if I had a guest coming, what was that experience going to be like? And then we built it around that. And then we just repeat it over and over again. It was just a little bit of work in the beginning to take the thought of like, what are you going to put in the kitchen? Would you be upset if that was missing? Cause we love cooking. We love, you know, really using the Airbnb. So I think we're a good, we're a good host. Cause we thought about those things. Yeah, definitely keeping the customer in mind of what they would want and providing it before they even know that they want it is such a relief. I know I've showed up and it's like, oh, look at they have. I can't remember what it was, but a couple of times like, oh, they have that. Oh, that's nice. Like, I appreciate that. They thought that through. So, man, that's great. Now, Lisa, you actually teach a lot of people about how to have financial dependence as well as do Airbnbs. You actually have course on that as well. So how can people find you? Because I know they're going to want to reach out to you because you're a great person. Like you and I are friends in general. We live re relatively same city. Like you're in Sedona, I'm in Phoenix. So, you know, really, really close. But um, 
I know they're going to want to reach out to you. So how can they find you? How can they reach out to you? Yeah. So it's probably helpful just to notice that a lot of my work is around mindset and I use mindfulness practices and I teach people how to change their mind going from somebody who lives in scarcity, who thinks, oh my gosh, there's not enough resource. I can't make this happen into making whatever you want to have happen with your finances reality. And so uh, one way that they could get started just to learn a little bit more about me is to go to wealthclinic.com forward slash vision. And that will provide you some resources like a meditation and some other things. But if you're interested in Airbnb or asking me questions about this conversation and the course that I've created, feel free to just hit reply. I get all of the email and I'm happy to answer questions. It might be really basic and you're not ready to like get involved in doing it all, but I'm happy to field those questions because I love Airbnb. <laughs> so that's the best place to start. <laughs> that's terrific. Now, do you have like a YouTube channel, a podcast or anything like that they can listen to? Yeah, I have the Mindful Millionaire podcast. And I also have Art of Abundance podcast. And really, it's about conversations about helping people think differently about their business. I'm a business coach. I'm a mindset coach. It's all about how can we create more prosperity in our lives. I have a YouTube channel. You'll find that at Mindful Millionaire. And I have a book called The Mindful Millionaire. So you get the it's idea. It's a good book. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a good book. So I, I definitely, I, Lisa, you're fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm hoping people reach out to you. They could get, learn a lot and be um, very, very just, just wealthy in general, but also be able to change their mindset. Because I know for me, changing my mindset was one of the biggest things that got me to where I am today. And now that's propelled me even forwards more. So Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. 